Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey gang. So life's got a bit hectic for us. So what we've decided is we actually found one of our old episodes on sewers. Secret unreleased pilot episode. Yeah, secret unreleased pilot episode, which we're going to give to you now. Enjoy listening to us talk about sewers for 45 minutes without swearing. (laughs) And let us know if, now that you've kind of heard a couple back to back, let us know if you have any thoughts about like the differences in structure we've had since the... Since the first recordings. Yeah, we'd love to hear from you. Again, socials are at Dungeon Deep Dive or email us at deepdivetnc at gmail.com. Anyway, enjoy. Welcome to the very first episode of Dungeon Deep Dive, a podcast where we talk about your fantasy world building for tabletop RPGs and other things. Um, my name's Tally Grimley and my co-hosts here... Uh, I'm Danae Bags. And I'm Lachlan Hoy. So basically, you know, everyone comes into D&D knowing that it's a creation act. It's not typically something that you're just going into with the most mundane or generic settings. The best dungeon masters will try and create something fresh, something new, something original, and yet something that's still believable. A suspension of disbelief is absolutely imperative for any kind of you know, successful narrative. So Dungeon Deep Dive is really about how you can make the most authentic settings that are still fun and original. Exactly. Um, Going into the things that the source books don't, they never tell you how to uh, create a functioning society, never tell you how your sewage systems work, which is why we are plumbing the depths of that very topic today. Oh, boy. (laughs) He's already bringing in the puns. (laughs) I quit now. (laughs) Fair enough. I I don't mind. (laughs) um, So, starting out, I think we're going to talk about the big picture and historical settings of this one. Danae, do you want to take the wheel? Absolutely. So I think we've all encountered the trope in books, movies, and particularly video games where, you know, you have your characters chasing a villain through a sewer. Thanks, (laughs) Scooby-Doo. Scooby-Doo, that's not how you do. Because sewers in reality haven't typically been big enough to walk through, much less have whole adventures in, much less have whole underground developing uh, sprawling cities like underworlds and things like are in a lot of different video games. Hashtag Hello World of Warcraft. <laughs> the thing is, right, a lot of sewers are actually going to be too small to even crawl through. And that's because throughout the vast, you know, majority of human history in the real world, sewers weren't really a thing. No. No, it's a lot of um, a lot of cesspits. I had a look through the history. Mm. It's a lot of people just kind of uh, being paid to empty out big pits of waste. Yeah. Uh, it's lots of fun. That's a a, a fun little uh, thing called gong farming. 
farming. Yes, gong farmers are the people who worked nights to uh, take sewage out of the city. But why gong? Uh, it was from Old English for, um, uh, hang on. I'm testing the word. you now. Gong you was it. about the privy and it means to go, to go. It comes from the Old English gang. To go. Yes, and it's, it's what they would call the privy. And so gong farmers were the people who farmed the gongs. Wait, so even back then people were still being funny and said that they had to go? Yes. <laughs> oh, I love humanity. <laughs> That's a lie, I hate it. We should all die. And that is why we escape into the realm of Dungeons and Dragons. Woohoo. Anyway, go on. <laughs> so basically the first sort of sanitation facility that ever existed was, as you're talking about, uh, cesspits or sumps. The very first one appeared about 4,000 BC in Babylon, right? So the concept of sanitation has been around for a long time. But for like most of that time, it was just dig a pit in the ground and throw your feces in there. Maybe not. I mean, I don't see a downside here. The system works. That's what I do. The system works. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) We need to have a private conversation after this. Wait, are there... Other options? There are other options. Oh, my God. Please tell us all about them. (laughs) I shall. So, basically, we go into what was now known as Pakistan, but back in the day was known as Mahendrojaro. Basically, about 3000 BC, this city in the Indo Valley actually built latrines that connected to a sewage system. So, basically, these people started washing their latrines down with water, and then the waste would collect with that grey water and take it into a sump or a cesspit and then into a river. This is why you see a lot of uh, ancient uh, and middle civilizations really close to sources of running water, not just to go. drink, but to flush away their own waste. So we oh. had we had actual sewage pipes in cities as early as what you said, four thousand BC, three thousand BC, three thousand BC. Absolutely, wow. The thing is, though, and this is the funny part: humans are notoriously bad at continuing along with good decisions. Mm. I mean, mm. look at the Dark Ages, right? Like we basically took everything we knew and threw it in the fire, and we're like. Burn it. Yeah, screw it's that. It's unholy. Exactly. So it, even though you had, you know, this functioning latrine system, 3000 BC, you know, in, in Greece then, in ancient Greece, they took that and they began using it in a piping system and fertilizing things. You go on to Rome and there's a decree to actually connect all the households into a sewage system. Mm. And then you hit the Middle Ages. And then it goes out the window. And exactly... Precisely. <laughs> Precisely. People were still throwing their feces into the street in buckets, you know, and and it stunk. But it just seems more efficient, I guess, is kind of the thing. It because why build a whole system of sewers when you can just throw it outside? Well, I can tell you that is... Um, <laughs> When you well, end up with Johnny. when you end up with human feces just in the streets, you end up with uh, a cholera death rate of one in twenty nine people. Yeah, yeah, that seems like a pretty good reason. That's, actually, that's yeah. like a four percent cholera death rate. That about justifies it, I reckon. Actually, mm. that's how yeah. you cull the week, really. <laughs> <laughs> how you human waste? How to cull the week? Cholera the week. Stop. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. That's it was a valiant attempt. Now I'm going to go back to being quiet. I think. Yeah, absolutely. No, but seriously, we're even looking at things like the Renaissance, right? Renaissance 
we we think of it as this beautiful advance in human civilization. In London and Paris, we had all these beautiful fountains, and you know they clearly mm. had the technology and the and the means and the money to pipe water. Oh yeah, and people were still throwing their feces in the street because. For the longest time, they really didn't understand the connection, as as you're saying, between, you know, excretion and waste mm. and disease. Yeah, well, exactly. This has um, happened a lot is people just didn't quite understand how illness worked, how diseases travelled. Oh, yeah. I mean, germ theory didn't pick up until long after. So it makes sense that people just didn't really realise what the problem was. Yeah. Exactly. Have you guys ever heard of the Great Stink? Um, I have heard of it, but I couldn't give you examples. Please fill us in. So basically the situation of just, you know, throwing your doo-doo in mm. the street turned out to be a don't-don't because... <laughs> 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 Thanks, guys. <laughs> Real boosted my ego there. It, it became so bad that by about like 1800s, mm. you know... Not that long ago. Not that long ago. Still throwing our stuff in the street. Um, London had this like epidemic, you know, and everyone was dying. The The stink was so unbearable that people basically couldn't breathe and it became known as the Great Stink. And it was only then that an English doctor finally concluded that, hello, maybe we shouldn't, you know, drink the same water that's flushing away our stuff. What a breakthrough. What a breakthrough. An incredible development in medical science. Right? Mm. There you go. So basically it wasn't until, what was it, 1847 that we had the finally bright idea mm. not to, to, uh, to not walk through our own waste. Eat where we defecate. Yes. <laughs> no so, explicit tags here. Yes. Spotify. We're trying hard. Um, so what I'm hearing here for like the purposes of world building is in a fantasy setting, people did... Like, people could know about um, sanitation. Like, it happened as early as 3000 BC that we had personal plumbing in houses. But it's just that in certain settings that we know recently, especially in the Western world, that and in, like, in Europe, that we just kind of forgot about it. Yeah, 100%. In fact, it was only really um, Arab countries, actually, that, that continued the proper practice of sanitation, where the whole rest of, you know, Europe and the rest of the world were just like, meh kind of forgot about it that makes sense there you go too busy sailing boats to other nations to try and conquer them yeah (laughs) too too distracted from from getting rid of their getting rid of their stuff cleanly that they um i don't know i I don't know what i was gonna say kind of (laughs) beautiful the thing is i think that's really interesting to note is even though you did have some sewer systems you mentioned that were basically canals with walkways that Mm. were covered over uh, people still wouldn't be able to survive in them at all like even in those things that you could ostensibly walk through or have adventures in it's pitch black like yeah absolutely pitch black we're talking like service workers had to bring their own lighting there's little oxygen because they didn't have such a good you know manhole system as we do now and there's just so many noxious gases that Honestly, like it's so unsuitable for living that if you even get a drop of water from a sewage system on your skin in some areas that you have to go through like a full decontamination shower. Oh, wow. That's huge. So I guess they are just breeding grounds for all sorts of nasty bacteria and, you know. Absolutely. Parasites and all that sort of jazz that comes with uh, 
yeah. comes with human waste. Exactly. Yeah. And that's definitely something I think you've got to think about as a DM or even as a player is yeah. how's your character actually going to be affected by this like extremely toxic environment? Exactly. So I guess from there, we kind of got to look, look at if you do have sewers that your characters are going to be walking through, what conditions do you have to meet for them to actually be usable? For them, for your characters not to instantly take a bunch of poison damage or just drown in noxious, noxious gas. Kind of um, makes for an underwhelming adventure if you just walk down into the sewers and, and suffocate immediately. <laughs> yep, total exactly. party kill right there. We're done. That um, would be amazing if as a DM you were just like, guys, I really don't like your characters. The villain... Runs into the sewer. What do you do? <laughs> <laughs> oh, we go into the sewer. Oh, you're all dead. Sorry. Reroll. <laughs> Shouldn't have stepped in a puddle. You got an immediate full body infection. You died of septic shock. You have <laughs> died of dysentery. <laughs> oh. um, so, I mean, you're in the right place for it, though. Exactly. That's um, true. <laughs> Where better to have dysentery than down in the sewer? Fair. Um, so if we're going to have a look at the specific circumstances that you do need to build a sewer that people can walk through that we can have encounters in. Um, We're going to have to have a look. There are two historical examples that we can draw from. Um, And then we've got to draw from a little bit more modern technology that's happened with the advent of industrialization and um, better construction techniques. And uh, just to kind of touch on this a little bit now, it's kind of going to be a theme, I think, throughout um, our episodes, especially when we talk about places like this that require engineering. Um, You're really going to need, especially as a DM, some really creative solutions to get around like the limitations of a pre-industrial era. Mm. I mean, in an era where cities just kind of sprung up haphazardly instead of being planned from the get-go, it's really difficult to have these like kind of intricate systems, even if the technology is there. So you've sort of got to come up with ways yourself at your own table that would get around the limitations of the era without being... Without I just guess being untrue to the world that you've created? Exactly. Mm. So I guess let's have a look at the conditions of the city as a whole. So the first thing you've got to look at is this city, for you to have um, underground sewers that you can walk through, um, it means you've got to have enough of a system of governance when things are being built that you've got the money to pay your workers to build these systems. Um, public sanitation means you've got some form of public service. So you've got to have a government that actually cares about its uh, inhabitants. Um, So with that in mind, if we have a look at... um, Or at the very least a socially minded community enough that would be willing to embark on these like big broad projects. Exactly. So you've got to have... Taxes. Yeah. A lot. So it's either a system of taxation or a, a system of people banding together for the for the public good. And I will say that that's not unheard of in human history. I mean for a lot of uh, even English history most most public most property was held by the public kind of in mm. common hands and agriculture and everything was done by the community. Yeah. So it's not unheard of to have a community that's willing to embark on these like big broad scale projects together as a group. Yeah. Um, you just have to make sure that in your world you have a community that would be willing to do that if that's kind of the route that you're willing to, that you're looking to go down. Exactly. And so that's sort of the societal things that we do need to think about with that. Um, as far as the actual construction of them, what we're going to look at is primarily Paris and Rome. Um, in Paris, uh, certain sections, this is where we get our first examples of a sewer that people could walk through um, that comes close to what we would refer to now as a... Um, as a combined sewer, which is combined raw sewage and stormwater. 
Uh, and so what happens here is we have what we call split streets, which is where a river runs right down the middle of your street. Um, think Venice, think the Seine, think the River Thames. Um, you've got a river running through the city. Um, then what happens is when people add sewage to it, we get an event like the Great Stink where people are suddenly just straight up dying because it either smells too much or they're getting diseased. Um, and so for the public good, we build a roof on it. We just cover up that nasty sewer and let that be that. Out of sight, out of mind. Out of sight, out of mind. But out of sight, out of nose. If we do, <laughs> but if we do something like that, we're going to end up with one of the unlivable sewers that we're talking about earlier. Correct. So, what we can look at instead is something like the uh, the Cloaca Maxima, which is in Rome. Um, you had a whole bunch of you know, had a whole bunch of rivers and streams running through the city, and were built around that. Um, they carried a lot of stormwater and they ended up carrying sewage out to the River Tiber, this massive flowing river like you were talking about, um, built, on a fl- uh, built on a river, great for trade, great for sewage. Um, but what happens is we cover them over and then we've got a whole bunch of inlets. Uh, so in a whole bunch of public buildings, in streets, you have places where stormwater can flow into these places and that's what's going to keep this fresh is if it's fast flowing enough, if there's places for air to get in and if there's water that flows through. But that's a really good point to make, I think, with your examples of not inhabitable but, mm. you know, doable sewers. Yeah, survivable. Rome and Paris. Yes. So if you think about those, what what's the commonality between those two? I know I'm putting you on the spot here. Yeah, well, they're both built on on large rivers. They both had systems of heavy systems of governance and taxation. Mm-hmm. But what else? Like what? Like why do we know Rome and Paris so well? I suppose because they're capital cities. They're capital cities, right? Perfect. Which means that they had a lot of money go into them, and and Rome especially. Which mm. is, you know, your your better example as as a doable one. Yeah, had so much funding. Mm. It it was the the crown of an entire empire. Exactly, it was the crown of the empire. Not only was it well funded, but it was the most technical technology. Technologically advanced. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, the intention of Rome was to be a beacon of civilization. So I guess that makes sense. So I guess what I'm saying is, realistically, if you were to try and be as realistic as possible, Mm. you just wouldn't have sewers that you can explore in unless your city is, A, fabulously rich, or B, industrially advanced. So one of the two kind of is a prerequisite for these walkable sewers. Mm. Absolutely. But... As with always, there are workarounds. Yeah. Um, well, we could just have cities that are planned, that are built by capitals or built um, knowing what they're going to be laid out with. You can then build your entire sewer system around these you know, rivers or streams um, and you build the sewers before you build the rest of the city. Um, or at least build it underneath the foundations. Mm. And if you would, if you wanted to go a route where you were kind of trying to enable sewer systems in like more rural areas, then maybe you could look into having a former civilization having built stuff in that area. That's maybe buildings are no longer there, but the underground infrastructure could still exist. So there are sorts of options of ways that you could get around it, especially if you have a, a world with like a vast enough history. Um, but of course, it requires 
some justification. Exactly. It needs some sort of planning or some sort of infrastructure, whether it be from a past or planned when you're starting the city or even built in addition. You'll yeah. need some way to, to justify why this city in particular can afford sewers. Um, and there's just one last thing to talk about as far as the structures of it to make it possible is that you've got it's all got to go somewhere. It's all got to go somewhere. So these sewage systems would run out... Um, in our, in our ancient times uh, and going up into sort of medieval um, medieval period, they would all flow out into large bodies of water, usually the ocean or very large lakes. Um, lakes can be a problem because then they can get very polluted very quickly. Um, but that's where we go into sewage treatment. Um, now, we think of this, this as sort of a modern invention, but it's been happening for a very long time. We've had... Um, filtration similar to modern ceramic filters um, since the the, early, the late BCs, um, and in the even in Renaissance times, we were actually looking at using swamps and using um, marshland as filtration systems because uh, they are built with a lot of sediment and they're built with plant life that can filter out a lot of this bacteria and waste, um, and this. This is even utilised a lot in our current systems, um, sometimes is created marshes. Yeah, well, I mean, millions of years of evolution designed to filter is always going to trump a few hundred years of human engineering at the end of the day. So, like, marshes and stuff are designed, have evolved to be those systems. They're good at what they do. Exactly. Precisely. And so, taking on that sort of stuff, we can look at what what you would need to actually implement these into your world. What do they need to exist and what they're going to look like? Um, but what is it going to be like when we actually have encounters in there? Well, my first initial thought is that any creatures that can exist down there, they're really going to have to be able to deal with those things I mentioned before. Mm. Yeah. You know, it, it's dark, it's putrid, there's little oxygen. So how do you effectively create a creature that is, you know, not just a naked mole rat level mm. of threat? Yeah, I mean, kind of your kind of your easiest way to do that would be to have your sewers run out into open water, have them go out into swamps, have them go out into oceans and rivers and stuff like that. And then you could pretty easily justify having like aquatic life that goes through there, things that are, um, especially things like um, your crocodiles and your alligators and stuff, stuff that are used to much more con- highly contaminated bodies of water mm. um, and are used to being underwater for long periods, you can kind of justify having them come and go from inside sewers to kind of create more, I guess, organic encounters, more natural-feeling encounters. Exactly. But then, of course, you have to give them a justification to be there. Why would a crocodile swim all the way up into the middle of a, sewer, into the middle of a city sewers if there's nothing there for it to do? So you've got to have considerations of prey and stuff. And, of course, not all, fishes, not all fish and not all aquatic animals are going to be able to survive in the conditions of a sewer. So yeah. you've well, got to sort of look more at, like, your filter feeders and your bottom feeders and your more, I guess, robust forms of aquatic life that would sort of justify bringing predators that would be able yeah. to survive in those conditions to justify bringing predators in. Um, and one thing to note about having creatures, especially purely aquatic creatures in your sewers, is that um, while our traditional sewer systems, um, they're all gravity-fed, so they're going to run down, uh, downhill. But um, when we do that, the running speed of the water tends to be um, anywhere upwards of two miles an hour. Uh, I couldn't find the, the kilometres an hour sort of... Um, yeah, come on, man, we're version. Australian. Is that fast oh, or yeah, not? I need to get that. Uh, it's very slow. Okay. Very slow. But um, 
what you can look at is because we are looking at sewers that are survivable, that don't have a huge buildup of gas. It's about 3.2 kilometres an hour, I think. Yeah, it's it's slower than walking speed. Yeah. Um, but because we're looking at sewer systems that do... Um, that do flow a little faster because we're trying to get some airflow, we're trying to make sure that things aren't just building up as noxious gas in there, um, you are probably looking at creatures that will be able to swim against the current yeah. or that have swum with the current and then got stuck in a section that slows down. Yeah, so either things that have come from downstream or things like your kind of larger animals or stronger swimmers that would be able to fight the current and get into a sewer. Mm. In which case they're should be quite like well muscled or incredibly strong, which is definitely going to be a threat if yeah exactly you definitely know, your adventurers piss it off. Um, and then I mean you've got you've kind of got to keep in mind your more basic considerations. I mean, you have a bunch of human waste and stormwater and stuff, and you're going to have a lot of insects, for instance. Mm. I mean, True. mosquitoes are going to breed in um, are going to breed in stagnant stormwater because exactly. as much as a as much as you'd want a sewer to flow as as much as possible. The f- simple fact of having walkways is going to mean that there's going to be pools of water around. Mm. And that's going to attract a lot of insects and parasites and the like. And then you've got human waste, which will attract flies, and that'll attract spiders, and that'll attract all sorts. So there will be all sorts of different creatures down there that are kind of feeding off of each other and creating like this ecosystem. And if you have a culture that's had sewers for a long enough time, or kind of more ancient sewers that were built by a previous civilization, then you could even justify having animals that have evolved specifically to these conditions, yeah. which could justify thing, uh, more kind of exotic creatures in the context of sewers. Like you could have birds or felines and stuff, things that um, kind of animals of prey that would then be feeding on the smaller creatures that you could typically expect to find in a in a in an environment like this exactly and speaking on exotic creatures um, this is one of the things that we do have a little bit of freedom with when we talk about environments that are a high magic setting yeah um, because when you have contact with you know the abyssal plane or you know various planes of existence or magic in general you do have creatures that will adapt more easily so um, when you bring those things in you might have a, a sewer-specific animal that has evolved in a very short amount of time because yeah. we have access to these fonts of raw power. Absolutely or, correct. alternatively, you could have creatures that have come over from other planes of existence. Like, I mean, you talked about the abyssal plane, for yeah. instance, or maybe the infernal plane would be a good example. Um, mm. Somewhere like the infernal plane, where there's a lot of heat, would have a lot of like noxious gas and stuff in the air. So maybe a creature from the infernal plane would be able to, if it made itself to kind of the world that you're in, to yeah. whatever plane of existence that you're on, would be able to breathe these more toxic airs and be able to deal with like kind of the stuffy heat of being in these really enclosed environments with a lot of waste. Mm. And while we're on the topic of creatures too, I just had a thought about potentially why a more predatory or carnivorous creature might find themselves attracted to such a place that is kind of not exactly the, the natural habitat of most is slaughterhouses actually often contributed a lot of blood to sewage systems. Oh, yes. Anything like a crocodile that's naturally, uh, you know, senses blood and tries to follow it to its source. If we come from, uh, if we, uh, if the outlet is an ocean, you could even work in something like sharks. Yeah. Exactly. Anything that could be a freshwater shark, um, 
like if such a thing could exist, but we've got freshwater crocodiles and alligators. You can build a freshwater shark. So you can imagine then if one of your characters is injured perhaps and bleeding and then you have a predator that's there that is highly attuned to sense blood, is mm. that because there's blood in the water, mm. of course it's going to be gunning for you with everything that it has. And of course, building off of that, I mean, it doesn't just have to be blood. I, at the end of the day, if you want to justify having something in your sewers, then an easy way to do that would just to be have anything in the city feeding into the sewers that would be, and that, that would attract runoff it. would attract certain things. Because at the end of the day... Um, especially in a time where people had less idea about um, kind of water purification and like re- renewable uses of resources, then they would have just had everything flowing into these systems, just anything that they wanted to get rid of. Exactly. Um, so that's a little bit about creatures. I think you had, uh, Lachlan, you had a, a little bit to say about how you could put in um, a little more humanoid encounters. Or yeah, kind of like sentient creatures yeah. and stuff. Um I think that, um, so obviously your kind of easiest ways of, uh, to go about doing that, if you've managed to justify having um, a sewer where people can, uh, or things similar to people can be for long periods of time, then you could have very easily have like maintenance workers and staff and stuff that would be around. And mm. perhaps in a more expansive network, then they could be located in like, uh, meeting areas and like residential areas that are set up so that they can stay down there for long periods. Yeah, well, if we look at our um, historical gong farmers that we mentioned earlier, um, they were actually um, paid extremely well, but they were they've um, been classified as one of the worst jobs in history. Well, you'd want to be paid well, wouldn't you? Yeah, but um, they were actually excluded from society. They were to work only in specific hours of the night, so as not to disturb um, the day to day goings on of. Uh, of the denizens of the cities. Um, they were sometimes called nightmen for that reason. They only worked at night. That's a pretty metal name for someone who's literally <laughs> just collecting just poo. Exactly. Um, but you could have people who are hired to never see the light of day and work only in the sewers. And, I mean, these people could have an entire community if you wanted to, if you wanted to justify it. Especially which if you've got a big enough network. Exactly, which could then lead into, uh, I mean, pseudo-civilizations under the ground. You could have areas uh, that would be a good way to kind of integrate more, like, kind of puzzles and traps and stuff to have um, more kind of social community areas um, and have people that would need things to protect. Mm. Um, you could also kind of integrate that sort of stuff through uh, having the sewer system be located in a specific city, but the exit be outside the city. Then you could justify the city having set up all sorts of defences and precautions and stuff that would need a very specific method to overcome to yeah. protect the people that need to work there, but would be really difficult for some intruder, some adventurer, mm. to be able to shut down the traps. Well, I mean, that's that's something you've just brought up that I've never considered is the outlet for your sewers would be guarded. Absolutely. You would, you would need to guard the outlets for your sewers. If the outlet for the sewers left the city, then you'd have to. Well, let's think of, you know, what was it, Helm's Deep and Lord of the Rings. It was essentially, you know... Yeah, it was a sewer, sewage outlet that was the... Yeah, and they just blew the grate. Yeah. And, and there you go. Destroyed. That's a whole city under Gone. siege. So, yeah, honestly, like, if you are going to ostensibly defend your city and you're smart about it, you do need to guard your exits because it's, it is a weak point and they would know that. Mm. And especially if you have, um, if the city that you're currently set in is the city that built the sewers and it was all built kind of by a plan, by design, then that's a city that would have thought through the, po- the, the, real, the very real risks of having people enter through the sewers and that would have 
probably quite heavily defended them. Yeah. Um, you could also have, if you wanted to incorporate, just as an example, um, you could have uh, other sewer systems, or other tunnel systems, rather, intersect with the sewers. So you could have maybe a section of the Underdark that's tunneled into the sewers, maybe for the purposes of getting into the city, maybe just to expand their region, yeah. um, which could introduce the possibility of all sorts of humanoid creatures that are, that can deal with very harsh conditions being kind of all over these sewer systems. And yeah, maybe they don't even know that there's a city above them. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Well, with that, uh, well, I think we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, let's try building a sewer of our own. Sounds good. Beautiful. So, um, do we want to start with the big picture, what our city looks like to have a sewer? Absolutely. Uh, so, as I mentioned before, again, it has to be rich or and or uh, mechanically advanced. So, if you're going to have a sewer, your city is going to be large. The population is going to be fairly uh, immense. We're thinking like up in the thousands of thousands of people, mm. not a little backwards town. So, maybe if we look at something like... Well, let's go with the capital city and let's say because it's planned, let's say this was an empire that is merged from political alliances, this is a created capital. Yeah. Makes it nice and easy to plan it from the start. Um, You do have uh, plenty of population then swarming into the capital and you can build the sewers underneath so we have an extensive network. And if you're looking at more kind of D&D-centric stuff, so we're talking about your cities like your Fandolins and your Waterdeeps, your mm. really large kind of expansive civilizations, kind of those adventuring hubs that you're going to send your players to, those are the sorts of places that are going to have sewers, not your like kind of backward settlements and stuff yeah. and your smaller like agricultural places. Yeah, so if we look at our, you know, shining capital of um, of the, the empire um, and then we look at, well, it's got to be built on a river, that's a big part of it. Absolutely. It's got to have a uh, flowing water. So, do we Which, want- to be fair, should be a consideration of any capital city you create. Most capital cities would be built on flowing sources of water for a variety of reasons. Yeah. Exactly. So do we want to call it this one, maybe we're situated next to a mountain? Yeah. We've got that the, the um, water coming down from the mountains yep. and that's the, the source of our river. So glacial melt. Yeah, yeah. glacial melt. Perfect. Yeah. So we're in a cold climate. We've got glacial melt um, feeding into this river. Um, and what's our outlet going to look like? Are we going to go into treatment or just another flowing, another body of water? I would say it depends how advanced your society is. Have they, like, are they going to consider treating it or not? Well, so, it, you know, like, if it's like a more gnomish city, you know, I would say absolutely they'll be treating it. Well, do we want to call this? It's on the side of a mountain. Let's call it a gnomish um, city. It's a created capital, so I think they're going to be treating their sewage. Yeah. Beautiful. So do we want to make this one go out into a created marsh? Yeah, absolutely mm-hmm. makes sense. Perfect. Um, so if we have our, our capital city of Sewer Deep, um, <laughs> which is set into these lovely glacial mountains, um, n- primarily we've got gnomes uh, in the city and a whole bunch of adventurers coming in. Um, so this is probably going to be hewn out of a rock face, something like that. Yeah. Um, beautiful. So we've got a almost subterranean city. We've definitely got subterranean sewers. Yeah. Um, so these are these ones are planned. So we definitely have a network of people. Yeah. Yes. yes. 
So then, um, I guess in terms of what you would do down in the sewers, I guess in somewhere like this, you could have the sewers maybe connect to cave systems under the mountain. Mm. And perhaps there are things that have been, there's a magical relic that's been hidden down there or an Mm. organization that's hiding down there. Something that needs to, because at the end of the day, you need to get your players down into the sewers for the sewers to mean anything. Yeah. So if we, let's let's take the example of the organization. We've got an organization that knows that the only people that goes down to these sewers are the sanitation workers. Yeah. And they don't reach the city. So nobody's going to tell of who they saw. So, of course, if anyone wanted to hide down there, then they could hide down there for as long as they wanted. Fantastic. And so your players then have a choice. They can either, uh, once they've reached the sewers, they can go back up and ignore the problem. They can deal with this this organisation that we've got and we can put the carrot on the end of the stick, this magical relic that they have. Mm-hmm. Um, or they could find their way out into the, the marshlands that is our filtration system. Yeah, Keeping um, in mind that if they stay within the sewage system, they encounter the natural biological problems. So you have to, I guess, I think I think theme is a really important part of D&D. So if your theme is like, oh, this is a more dangerous sort of adventure-based time, you know, mm. timely adventure, you need to bring that into the consideration too. Like, well, you know, if you stay down here. This could happen. Yeah, yeah, you can definitely just just introduce like the natural biological dangers of being in a sewer as a very legitimate threat to your party if you'd like. Absolutely. Like, yeah, yeah there's a relic here and there's an organization that we'd love you to take down. But, you know, if you're very self-sufficient, self-serving, is your character really going to want to do that knowing the dangers that it poses just being there? Yeah. So what about the specific dangers of it? What dangers are we going to find in this specific city? I mean, an example off the top of my head would be perhaps you have a storage area for maintenance workers that has been kind of converted into a puzzle entrance into the cave systems. Perfect. Maybe they've tunneled, they've used magic or they've tunneled behind, they've tunneled behind the maintenance workers' tunnels and stuff and they've, and opening lockers in sequence, for instance, will open up a, a hole in the wall or perhaps... Uh, filling with water pressure or something will raise the water high enough that a party prepared to swim in th- in sewer water would yeah. be able to get up to maybe an opening higher up. Perfect. Something that they couldn't otherwise reach. And other dangers that we can think about, if we're in a mountain city, there's going to be waterfalls somewhere in our system. Absolutely. So um, just swimming downstream blindly might get you thrown down a waterfall. I mean, and if you're looking at something like mountainous caves, you could have um, the integration of maybe like goblinoids or underdark creatures or something. Things that maybe are separate from whatever you've got in that area that just sort of happen to kind of coexist in those tunnel systems or in those cave systems and stuff that could come in, could, that could come into play maybe through exploring the tunnels for fish. Perfect. So kind of what we can build on that. I was just going to say, sorry, another little consideration is, you know, if we're taking this example of it's a Noma city, mm. they're not going to build tunnels for big people, are they? No. So, so if we have... They very, might, they very well might be able to walk through them. Yeah, so if them, we have Goliaths or Furbolgs or something like that, so our larger races, they're going to have a lot of trouble in tunnels built for gnomes. Yeah, and that's going to constrict, you know, their fighting ability. 
you know, any of that kind of thing. Yeah, and I mean, something that would be perhaps a good quest before you send your party down to the sewers could be acquiring equipment that would make it so that they could survive, acquiring some kind of magical item that would, maybe if it's if the tunnels are too small for them to walk through, maybe they need to find some kind of magical relic that'll make them small enough to get through there, or will yeah. increase the size of the tunnels. If you've got a wizard in your party that knows um, enlarge and reduce, you've got to manage that, that resource carefully so they've got enough spell slots to survive but also you've managed to reduce yourself enough to get in and out. Yeah, maybe to get through these tunnels you need to be wearing a specific kind of enchanted uniform or item or something that will allow you to get through kind of the defences and the and maybe the guards that are there in the area. So maybe you could have a quest where your party seeks out stuff like that yeah. that Perfect. would allow them to kind of explore freely. Or a particular breathing apparatus that yeah. allowed them to live down that. Which again, like then you've got things like if they lose that at any point or if it gets ripped off. You know, yeah, that en- that entertains like a whole further notion of danger. Well, if we go as far as building a specific sort of story into an encounter, we've got our city um, that is built into the side of a mountain. Lots of gnomes, lots of adventurers. So we're going to have really cramped tunnels, and we're going to need a breathing apparatus of some kind. So that's what we do in order to get into our sewers: is get a breathing apparatus. Once we get into the sewers, we know we probably don't need to worry about things like. Uh, crocodiles, uh, think, things like alligators or things that would swim upstream because we're probably going to have um, waterfalls of some kind mm-hmm. further down the line. Mm-hmm. Um, but that means we've got to be careful not to be, be swept downstream. We're looking for a specific uh, entrance for our uh, secret organisation, our potentially our cult that lives down here. Mm-hmm. Um, and you've got to be able to get along well with the, uh, the night workers, mm. the, the sewer workers there. And I think, I think the only other major consideration... Um, with something like this is you've got to keep in mind sewers are underground and they're not places that people go. So for your party to even find out that there's something down there worth exploring, there needs to be some indication that there's something interesting to do. And, I mean, there's no harm in going with kind of tropey adventure hooks. Um, Everyone uses them. You could easily have a maintenance worker that broke the rules and ran into a tavern to let people know because, by George, this is too important. I may lose my job, but this is... But the fate of the city's at stake. Or maybe the... Maybe the cult under the mountain has a really powerful magical relic and there have been rumblings from under the city that your party seeks to explore. Okay, well, how about this for the way to start the story hook is you end up with a sanitation worker run into the tavern that you're all at, screaming blue murder that something's happening. Um, they get arrested for leaving their post and for entering the city and now it's your job, uh, if you've got a, a good party that cares about the NPCs, it's now their job. So no party that I'm in. So no party that you're in, no. <laughs> but it's then their responsibility that they have to go down and find proof that this sanitation worker was telling the truth and that there is something down there. And, I mean, maybe if you if you need to have more justification, if your party's not quite as altruistic, then something like kind of amorphous sounds or something coming from under the sewers or mm-hmm. perhaps having someone of more repute back up the story or, mm. or believe the story of the sanitation worker would be uh, a justification to get them uh, offered a reward by someone who could kind of encourage them to take that extra initiative to go down there. Exactly. True. And I think uh, in another interesting thing to note is the reaction of the city itself to your adventurers wanting to go into their sewers. You have option one where it's like something bad's happening. We can't deal with it. 
here's some money. Can you please go down? Versus don't know, go down to our sewers. Don't we don't like that. Yeah, exactly. Like if you are excluding your sewage workers from main civilization, you're not going to want to just randomly let adventurers yeah. down there. So you might even have to fight have the city itself. You might have to, to flee in. the city after taking part in the quest. Correct. And with stuff like that, it's also important, I think, to note that your party is real people and they're going to be curious about things. So yeah. at the end of the day, you can trust that if a sanitation worker runs into the tavern and then immediately gets arrested on site, then your party's probably going to want to investigate that. That would feel like a big deal. Mm. So don't worry too much about kind of spoon-feeding it to them. You can just give them like some idea that something is happening there and hope that they're going to follow that lead. And if they don't, then you kind of... That's when you start like stepping it up. But I think it's best at first to give them something simple something a little bit more vague and let them take the initiative. It feels better as a player to feel like you've worked it out on your own rather than being spoon-fed. Yeah. Absolutely. I think a, a good DM doesn't spoon-feed, as you say. They just introduce surprising reactions of the world and its inhabitants to the player's decisions and actions. Yeah, exactly. At, at the end of the day, your story hooks and stuff, and I guess this goes for everything, not just sewers specifically, should feel like they're an organic part of the world more so than a tool for your party to get to a place. Mm. Mm. And I guess that's what we're, we're here to do in this particular podcast is find those tools for you to create your hooks. Um, we've got a similar podcast on the network, uh, is our Hooked, which is all about building specific hooks to uh, call your players in. Um, and that's where we come in is to uh, help create these systems that you wouldn't otherwise know about. So you don't have to do three hours of research on sanitation systems. Because we will do that for you. <laughs> and with that, I think that is us for tonight. Um, thank you very much for listening to Dungeon Deep Dive. This is the, the pilot episode. Um, I have My, my name is Tully Grimley. I have with me... Danae Bags And Lachlan Hoy. Thank you very much and we'll see you next week. Bye. Humanity spent millennia upon millennia seeking answers to their questions through bizarre and occult methods that left them in the dark as ever. Now, in this golden age of knowledge, people no longer have to look at, frankly, incomprehensible omens, but rather make rational decisions based on peer review research and the scientific method. That being said, large swathes of people aren't doing that anymore. And here at Imogen Harrison Predict the Future, we've decided to lean in. People just like you email in questions like, should I break up with my loving partner? Should I make a major career change? I feel like I can constantly hear a heartbeat underneath my floorboards. What's up with that? And comedian Imogen. And writer Harrison. We'll look at some tea leaves or the moon or whatever and we'll tell you what to do. And you'll do it. Without question. Imogen and Harrison predict the future. We have a vision. You'll love it. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. 